There was a famous Christian psychiatrist, his name was Carl Menninger, and he worked with uh, hospitalized patients who were mentally ill. And he once said that if 75% of these people could just simply accept and give forgiveness, they could all go home tomorrow. You see, forgiveness is incredibly powerful. It's not easy to do, but it's incredibly powerful. And it's something we must practice as those who follow after Jesus Christ, and I wanna say especially in this time. So what better way can we start this whole of 2021 by thinking about what might it mean for us to begin to wipe some of the slate clean? And so we're in this little short series that we've called The Forgotten Books. And today we're going to take a look at one of the shortest letters in all of the New Testament. It is the letter of Paul to a guy named Philemon. So if you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me over to this book? And I'd highly encourage you to follow along with me because I can only put chunks up on the screen. But this short little letter is kind of powerful just having it there in front of you. Um, the reason this book is so powerful is because it talks about forgiveness, but it shows an example of how it worked out in the life of the church, the early church. And more than this, if the church had followed this letter, our history would be different. Uh, and I'll show you more about that in a little bit. Let's start with the book of Philemon. We're gonna start at verse one, of course. And it begins this way. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also Apitha, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Let's pause there because, you know, sometimes we go in the New Testament and we look at the letters and we kind of skip over the greeting. This is an important, they're all important, but this one is particularly important because if you don't understand the context of who Paul is talking to and what he is saying to these people, you're gonna miss the power of this letter. So here's Paul. Paul is an apostle, of course, and he is writing from prison. This is one of the last letters that Paul will ever write. Uh, scholars aren't exactly sure if Paul is imprisoned in Rome at this time. Most think that he is in Ephesus. He is writing a letter to a man named Philemon. Philemon is a person who lives in Colossae, if he is indeed in prison in Ephesus, about 30 miles away is Colossae. So not too far of a distance. What we know about Philemon is not too much, but we know from the letter that he is a wealthy man because the church is meeting in his home. 
Now, the church wasn't big, but it was big enough to have the meeting within his home. And we also know that he's wealthy because as we're gonna see in the letter, that he owns slaves. More about that as we go on. Um, but also, you, you see a few other names that come up in here. Uh, Apipha is most likely Philemon's wife, and then Archippus is possibly the pastor of this small church. So what's important to recognize, though, is it is both a personal letter, because it's being written to one person, and it is also a public letter. It is being also read to the whole of the church, and that's gonna have an impact as you hear this. Think about somebody writing this letter to you, and then me reading it in front of the whole congregation. There's your context for this, right? Now, one of the things in the greeting that he ends up at the end is he is effusive with his praise. He, he starts to say, uh, Philemon, I remember you every day in my prayers. I am so grateful for you. I just think you're wonderful and all of this. And have you ever been to a meeting where the person gets up and they are effusive with their praise? I mean, it's just like dripping. Oh, you people are wonderful. What's going on in your mind, right? You're thinking, okay, now when's the other shoe gonna drop, right? And that's exactly what's happening here. Paul is buttering up Philemon for a reason. He is going to ask a huge, I mean, I'm not just talking like big, I'm talking like life-changing, it will blow his mind request. And so yes, he, he is reminding him of his love and he's gonna ask this request about a man named Onesimus. So let's keep reading verse eight. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. All right. So, Philemon, he just had to be floored that Paul is writing him personally, and then writing him about Onesimus because Onesimus was his slave. And more than likely, he hadn't heard a word about him since he ran away. He fled. And then to hear about it from Paul would have just been weird and absolutely strange. So what we know is that something happened, some kind of conflict that Onesimus just decided, okay, now I'm running away. And later on in the letter, there's an implication that as he fled, he even stole from Philemon. Now, when you hear the word slavery, okay, it, for as, as Americans, it comes with a bunch of baggage. But don't think American South, okay? Slaves at the time were nowhere nearly as poorly treated as slaves in the American South. But still, they did not have a ton of rights. And when you broke the law, such as fleeing from the person who owned you, or particularly theft, theft was a capital offense against your master. 
And so here's Onesimus, he has no legal rights, he's got nowhere to go, he's desperate, he's on the run. So where does he go? Goes to Paul. Now, how did that happen? So there's a chance that while Onesimus is in the household, he's hearing the other Christians talk about this guy named Paul. Maybe he even listened in on the church meetings and he heard Paul's letters. Or maybe it's just simply that God put the two of them together. We don't really know, but what we do know is that somehow God connects them and while he's imprisoned, again, probably in Ephesus, 30 miles away, they build a friendship. They not only build a friendship, Paul says that Onesimus became my son in the faith. In other words, he leads Onesimus to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, he becomes his spiritual father. Um, and so Paul says, with my authority, I could demand what I'm about to ask of you because I'm an apostle. Not only that, but Philemon, don't forget, I led you to faith. But instead, he takes a much more loving, and by the way, for those of you who are just ordained or installed, this is a great message for us as leaders. Even though we may have authority, we don't, in the Christian church, speak down to our brothers and sisters. We build up in love. And that's what Paul is doing. He's not abusing his authority. He's doing this in a far more loving and diplomatic way. Uh, let's take a look. Verse 11. Formerly he, that's Onesimus, was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and me. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place and help me while I'm in change for the gospel. But he didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would not, would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Um, okay. In those days, if you were in prison, you, you didn't likely get three meals a day. Uh, you didn't get clothes and blankets and have things washed. That was the responsibility of your friends and your family. And so it seems that this is what Onesimus begins to do for Paul. He begins to care for his needs and looks out for him. And so what Paul does is he does this interesting thing with his name. The name Onesimus in, in Greek means useful. It's a strange name, right? And so Paul says he became useless to you, which is a play on his name, but now he's once again become useful because he's now come into faith in Christ. Useful both to you and to me. He's living up to his name. But here, here's the problem. Imagine if the word gets back to this little church, and particularly to Philemon, that Paul is harboring one of his runaway slaves. You could think that somehow this young church, they're not really steeped too much in, in, in good theology yet. They're, they're young. What if they think that somehow he colluded with Onesimus? What if they think somehow that the stuff that Onesimus stole, that now Paul's benefiting from it? See, this could cause major division. So Paul begins to realize, I gotta send Onesimus back. Uh, uh, but now that he's come to faith in Christ, it, it actually complicates the whole of the matter. 
because he's not going back as a slave. He's going back as a Christian brother. It's not the way Philemon's going to see him the first time that he delivers this letter. So it's a dramatic situation that that, that gets set up. And and what he's about to ask is, it's just huge. It is a big ask. Uh, Verse 18, let's take a look. Paul says, perhaps the reason that he, Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Isn't that awesome? Okay. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. It's kind of like my dad telling me, I know you're going to do the right thing, all right? So here, with 21st century eyes, we look at this idea of slavery, and we just think, you've got to be kidding. It's abhorrent. The whole idea that someone would think that they would own another human being, come on. Especially a Christian. But you got to think in the historic context. You see, at the time, the Romans, they looked at slavery and servanthood kind of like electricity or gas. How, How can we ever get on without that? And that's exactly the way that they saw it. And therefore, you and I we wouldn't think this way. But Paul is saying, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to think, not only think about it, I want you to do without it. It's a a huge thing. Here, let me explain what he's doing. The key word here is partnership. This is the second time that Paul has used this word in this letter, and it's very intentional. The word here is koinonia. Okay, now, I know there's some of you who are at home and some of you here that word has history in our church, doesn't it? Okay? I know some of your community groups, you still call them what? K groups, right? Which is short for koinonia. So the word koinonia in Greek is a, it's a loaded term. It means deep, abiding fellowship. It means equality in relationship and purpose, a called purpose together. And so Paul is intentionally calling out this idea of koinonia among all of the brothers and sisters in the church to point out the partnership that we all have together in Christ. Koinonia isn't something that's just a concept. Koinonia is something that's to be acted out, to be done by the church. Uh, Paul says in his, uh, well, let me say, in verse six, he says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Okay, so what effect is Paul talking about? Uh, He's saying, "I, I pray that this would deepen your understanding, not just to understand it, so that you would realize 
how his coming to Jesus changes the way that you must see him. Now you must see him not as a slave, but as a brother. Later, uh, I'm sorry, earlier he wrote to the Galatian church and, he, and Paul wrote this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is saying that if you participate in this koinonia fellowship in Jesus Christ, you who were Jews used to look down on Gentiles. That's not the way it is anymore. It, you who were slave owners would look down on the people who were free. Oh, no, no, no. That, 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 um, uh, there, there is no such thing. Uh, you, if, you are, if you're a free person looking down on slaves, no. Or if you're a male looking down on women, it just, you don't act that way anymore. Now, you look at this and you think, well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of just right. Look, it was not right at the time. The only reason you think that way is because the gospel has, <laughs> that kingdom has worked its way into this kingdom. That's why we think about it this way now. It was not that way before Jesus. It, it, he is the one who brought these things into our world. Thank the Lord. But I want you to think about, okay, so he's asking him to work out the fullness of what koinonia means. Um, and he wants, remember, this is being read before the whole of the church. He wants not this to be a private matter. He wants it to be a public thing before everyone. Why? Because he wants to use it as an object lesson for the church to show the church this is what the gospel does. You see, that again, the gospel is not just something that I have in my heart. It is not a spiritual exchange that just connects me to God so I can go to heaven one day. No, I'll say it again. Our connection to that kingdom must inform that kingdom. And as we are working together here, the gospel must be something that's not only public, but works its way out into the way we treat others in public. All right, so, but think, I want you, oh, I was trying to think during the week how big of an ask this really is. Um, it's something like trying to convince an entire church in the American South to welcome back slaves who ran away, who were black, and then not only to bring them back in forgiveness, but then to elevate them and say, you are equals with us. Forgive us for the way that we treated you. Think about what that would have done. That would have absolutely made the people who did this pariahs in the culture. Because if you do that, you know what other people are gonna think? Those other slaves are gonna think, I want the same thing. You see, because that's what the gospel does. The gospel works its way into the culture, and the minute that one of us stands up and says, yes, this is the way it's going to be. I will not participate in this craziness anymore. I am going to be a representative of Jesus Christ. That yeast has a way of working its way through the dough. And that's exactly what Paul is wanting to happen, that somehow, if, if they did this, <laughs> if they did this, and then the church followed it. Imagine this. If the church knew its scripture so well 
that it put that kingdom before this kingdom, there would have been no slave trade. There would have been no civil war. There would have been, there, there'll be no racism problems like we have today. You see, when we put that kingdom before this kingdom, it really becomes a problem. And we deal with the issues centuries after decisions are made. How could somebody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, who is a baptized member of the church, be treated in a second class? And that's what Paul is trying to point out. You are equally sinful, and you are equally restored in Jesus Christ. Celebrate this. And it was absolutely something that went against the grain of the culture. What right now in your life, if you follow Jesus Christ, would go right against the grain of the culture? Do you see that God is asking you, this is not just me and Jesus in a private, personal way. Our faith must work its way out into public because it doesn't just impact you. It impacts the whole. That's what Paul is trying to show these Christians in the beginning, and that is what he's trying to show us as Christians now. And if nothing else, this week was a reminder that we cannot view our cultural practices through the lens of our culture. We have to view it through the lens of God's kingdom. We're not permitted to simply go with the flow of culture. We must honor the Lord. And so when God's word is followed, it can impact history and it can impact your history. And so let's make this a little more practical and, and see what we can do here. Um, some of us who are listening today, you need to reconcile things with the Lord. Perhaps you have been far from the Lord. Perhaps during this season, you haven't really connected with the church and you've drifted. Martin Luther wrote, we are all the Lord's Onesimai. And what he, what he meant by that is that, you see, God is your rightful owner. He is your master. And somewhere along the way, every one of us decided, I don't want this anymore. We ran away. We took the gifts that God had given us, the talent, our body, our money, and said, you know what? I want to use it for me. And we, like Onesimus, were fugitives on the run, away from our rightful master, and we robbed God. But just like Onesimus, somehow God in his sovereign hand put someone in your life who shared the gospel with you. Maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was simply you grew up and you began to know. But you know, somehow along the way, it clicked. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I have run away from God. And at first, you begin to think, how in the world can I go home? I'm guilty. I've done all this stuff. What if God punishes me? I know I need to be, or I deserve it anyway. And then the Savior says to you, don't plead your case, just go home. And here, take this letter that I've given you. 
And as you're going and delivering it to the Father, you, you look and you see what it says. It says, um, just like it says in verse 17, accept him or her as you would accept me. Or verse 18, you keep reading, uh, and if he has wronged in any way or owes anything, charge that to my account. You see, this is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you so that you could go home and not be punished. We are God's onesimai. You could never hope to pay for all of the sins that you have done, but somehow Jesus has done this. And if you have run away from God, maybe today is the first time that you would think about going home. You need to reconcile with God. Or maybe simply you've drifted from God. You need to reconcile and you need to go home. And God wants to forgive you and draw you into that koinonia fellowship with him. And then there are some of us who need, and here this might be the more challenging one, we need to reconcile with others. You know, one of the things I find most amazing about this letter is Onesimus, right? He took a huge risk to go back to Philemon, right? I mean, think about it. He had no idea how Philemon was gonna respond. He could have thrown him in jail. He could have punished him. He could have had him killed. But somehow Onesimus, over time, realized, I can't live with this. I can't be a Christian and not go seek out forgiveness for what I did. And somehow, all right, no matter what, no matter the punishment, whatever, I, I need to be righteous before God. I need to go seek reconciliation. And some of you here today, in the deep recesses of your heart, you've got that one person that you know that you need to go to. And somehow over the last couple years, you have not listened to that voice. Maybe just like Onesimus, you said, but you know what, he wronged me. You, that she wronged me. And maybe now there's a recognition to say, you know what, maybe I played a part in that as well that I can own. You need to go and seek reconciliation. Or maybe you're in the position of Philemon, right? Maybe there's somebody who's coming to you and saying, would you forgive me? I know I did wrong. And there's a position of power in your heart that is much more comfortable to say, I'd rather not, because if I do this, it's gonna open up all kinds of raw emotion. I'd rather us keep our distance from one another. But the example of this scripture letter says, it's not an option. We are people of those who have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, therefore must work out the gospel, must work out the gospel of this koinonia fellowship in practice that goes and says, Father, you've forgiven me, therefore help me to forgive this other person. It's not optional. It may be uncomfortable. Imagine how uncomfortable this was for Philemon and Onesimus, okay? It may be that uncomfortable for you, but the gospel says you must work this out. It's not just a private matter, it's a public thing because what you're doing is not only enslaving you, but it's also hurting others. Imagine how God can work and change history. Paul concludes the letter with this little funny thing. He says, prepare a room for me. 
I hope to be there soon, okay? I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That grace comes when we abide in him. C.S. Lewis once said that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. It is, it is hard. It is absolutely difficult work. It's painful and it can draw up emotions and raw stuff that you don't want to unearth. But how about the possibility of being set free from this? How about the possibility of there being healing? Do you believe that Jesus Christ can do this? If somehow he has done this in your life, and maybe it takes, it'll take counseling, maybe it'll take years of working, it doesn't mean that you let down some healthy boundaries, okay, but you take steps together toward reconciliation, but what is not an option is to not pursue it. This is what this letter shows us. We must forgive. Jesus Christ on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. If that's the God whom we serve, if that's the God for whom we model, we must be like Jesus. And catch this, okay, so about 50 years after Paul writes this letter, there's a, um, a guy named Ignatius, a pillar of the early church. He's the bishop of, of Antioch, and he's being taken to execution in Rome. And he, at the stopover in Smyrna, uh, he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. And you know who the bishop is in Ephesus? Take a guess. It's Onesimus. Okay, now, we don't know, 100% sure, is this the same guy. But church historians, it's an unusual name. And he was in Ephesus. So, because Philemon did it, he changed history. He changed Ephesus. You see, this is what can happen. God can change your history. God can change our history. And when we don't listen to it, it has ramifications that go beyond your relationship that you don't even conceive of. But God can change your history. God wants to change your history. Let's be people. Let's be people who offer forgiveness and reconciliation, especially, especially at this time. Let's pray. Father, this is not an easy message. It is so much easier to say this than to do it. But I'm grateful, Father, that forgiveness was not an easy thing for you. It cost the life of Jesus. And as we see the costliness of the cross, Lord, we're horrified at our own sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. And it is from that place of seeing what we had done and the forgiveness and the grace that would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would have the courage to be Onesimus, to go back to the person we wronged,
that we would have the courage of Philemon to be able to extend forgiveness. And then, Jesus, please use this to bring glory to you and your kingdom. We ask this in the powerful name of the forgiver, Jesus Christ. Amen.